Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when God only called when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And after being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, well, uh, today's section, we are going to um, leave the idea of, I'm just going to tell you this, the idea of the, the Melchizedek for chapter seven, okay? So I'm not going to even hit on that. Some of you are like, no, what, no Melchizedek? We're going to hit that entirely in chapter seven. And there is a lot to unpack in uh, this, this section. And we're really going to kind of reverse it from chapter five back. So we're going to back our way into the end of uh, chapter four. In this section... If I had to theme it, uh, it is entirely about Jesus's identity. If you look at this theme, what is this, this section? What is the theme of this section? This section is all around the identity of Jesus Christ. And that is important that we understand that. Because if we don't understand the identity of Jesus, uh, we're going to make a lot of missteps along the way, even as Jesus followers. And like we talked about last week, the source of where Jesus's identity is disclosed to us is in the word of God. And so Jesus himself is the word with flesh, right? And so this morning, what we're going to see is that word of God made flesh, his identity, one aspect of his identity. Um, And particularly this identity, as the book of Hebrews chapter four says, his identity is the great high priest. Jesus' identity as the great, our great high priest. Now, Hebrews, um, in my opinion, is the second most difficult book in our New Testament to understand, right? Behind Revelation, because of all of its uh, symbolism and things like that. I put Hebrews second because there are a lot of assumptions made by the writer of Hebrews um, that, that the first century readers of the church this was written to, the original audience, would have known, right? There are a lot of these pictures, like the priest of Melchizedek, right? Things like that, a high priest. There are a lot of these things that he's almost like assuming that you know that honestly, we don't know, right? 
Even when we talk about a priest, what, what comes to mind when I say the word priest is probably someone who, who wears a, a white collar. And so I want to do, with our extra hour of sleep, I want to do a little bit of, of, of heavy lifting here on the front end and, and unpack, um, not, a, not in a super deep way, but, but in a way that we can get our minds around, um, of what is this high priest guy? Who, who, who is this high priest? What, what would he have been about? What, was he, what, would, he, what would they have assumed and would have known uh, very quickly when uh, they, they called Jesus' identity or they called his name the great high priest? Because I think it's, 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 it's missed on us sometimes, the depth of what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us uh, this morning. And the first thing is this, that there were three roles or offices, um, and Jesus fulfills all these roles, particularly in the Old Testament. All right, and this isn't going to be new to some of you, but we want to lay this foundation. Um, and, and we have a slide for this, so you can put it up. The first one is a prophet. A prophet is someone who, who spoke from God, right? Received the word from God and then spoke to the people, right? So communicated to the people. That was the prophet. Okay, then next you would have the priest, right? Prophet, priest, king. The next you have the priest. It represented the people to God, okay? So it was among the people, represented the people to God. So a little different direction. You seeing that there? And then you had the king. The king represented God to the people, meaning that he represented the authority of God to the people. The identity in Jesus, you need to know, fulfills all three of those. And just to get a hair into Melchizedek, right? The interesting thing about Melchizedek the unique thing about him is that he was both king and priest, okay? So then Jesus came for the, okay, we'll, we'll get there in, in seven, all right? I'll, so I'll hold off. Today, the identity we're going to solely look at is that middle one, Jesus as the priest, particularly the high priest. And let me tell you, just all, all the cards on the table right now, if we can grasp this identity of Jesus, it will change us. It, it will change you. This is not just, just, just frilly, deep theology or doctrine. This is real life, something we must grasp and understand. And when we do, when we get the handles on Jesus as our great high priest, let, let me tell you, it will change you. It will change your approach to him. It will change your approach even to those around you. Okay, so who was the high priest? Okay, Hebrews chapter 5, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 5 tells us, and I think Hebrews 5 does one of the best little concise definitions of who the high priest was. And so the high priest was a man, this is the definition we'll use, was a man appointed to advocate to God on behalf of the people. What I just told you back there about the price. He, he was appointed, a man appointed to advocate to God on behalf of the people. Now, the high priest had two primary roles, uh, Hebrews 5 just told us. One is that he was an advocate for the people to God. And then the second is this, if you look in Hebrews 5, it says that he offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. You see, the Jews understood that there was a distance between them and their God that their sins created this distance. There was this chasm, if you will. So it was the high priest's responsibility to make sacrifices and gifts for the forgiveness of their sins, these blood sacrifices, so that that distance could be crossed. You see, we see this set up in the Old Testament in the way that the temple was constructed. There was a place inside the temple or their place of worship known as the Holy of Holies, where, where the literal presence of God was held. And it was, it was contained behind a massive veil, 
literally from the ceiling to the floor, this massive veil, not like a shower curtain, not like a flimsy little curtain like this, but a massively thick veil. And there was one person that could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. That person was the high priest. And so this high priest had specific clothing that they would wear around the edges of their garments. They would have bells so that the people could hear them when they walked in there. And also around their ankle was a rope, right? Because they were the only person to go in there. And if anybody else went in there, guess what happened? Yeah, that's right. Curtains for them, okay? Like they died. And so that's why they had bells. That's why they had the rope. And so that rope stayed out. So if the bells stopped ringing for like, I don't know, like their, their, their period of time. Like I wonder, like they're like, it's been three minutes. Like, Bob, do we pull them out? Like, what do we do right now? Like for an extended period of time, because they're like, we're not going in there, okay? Because we know if we go in there, we're not, we're not the high priest. We know we are goners. And so that's what the high priest did. He would go in there and he would make sacrifices, these animal sacrifices uh, to God on behalf of the people. And there were qualifications for the high priest. And that's what uh, Hebrews 5 lays out, the qualifications. It wasn't just like, okay, like who are we going to pick? There were certain qualifications for the high priest. And the first is this, is that this man must have solidarity with the people, meaning he's from them. He is an actual person. He's, he's a man from among them. That's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men. Among men, right? Solidarity with the people. Second, this wasn't just a, 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 a casual picking. This was a divine selection. A divine selection, meaning verse 4. Look at it here in, in your Bible, Hebrews 5. And no one takes this honor for himself. So it's not somebody going... They're like, anybody want to be the high priest? Anybody like want to volunteer? Because most of them are like, no. How was he chosen? But only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So this was a man from among them, called or selected divinely by God. So God plucked him out and said, you're going to be the high priest. You're going to represent the people to me. And then the third qualification is an, is an interesting one, uh, found in verse 2 and 3 of, of chapter 5, is that this man would have sympathy toward the people. He would have sympathy toward the people. Now, let, let, let me tell you, if you read your Old Testament and you know your Old Testament, you know there was a lot of dysfunction with the high priests. You could read about it, Right? But the qualifications that God gives is that he would have sympathy among the people, meaning that he would deal with the people in a gentle way, in a kind way. Because, one, because he is aware that he is not just making or representing the people to God. He's also representing himself. Why? Because he's he's from them. Like, it's his sin, too, that he's making these sacrifices for God to forgive among them. And so there is this sympathy toward the people. Now, Look at those things. Jesus as our great high priest. The rest of Hebrews 5 that I read talks about how Jesus perfectly fulfills all of those qualifications. All of them. You see, that is why there is a word before high priest in Hebrews chapter 4. He's not just our high priest. He is our, what? It's a word, great high priest. And that word great is the same word. Another word could be used there is ultimate. Ultimate, 
Meaning he's, he's the greatest, he's the ultimate picture of that which God designed to, to essentially bridge the chasm or the distance between God and his people. Jesus is our great or ultimate high priest. So what is it? What is it about Jesus? What is it about his identity that makes him the ultimate? What is it about Jesus that makes him worthy of carrying the term great? Two things. And they attach themselves to the role that God designed for the high priest to carry. Remember, what were the two specific roles here? Advocacy and sacrifice. So the first thing is this. Why can Jesus carry the name great high priest is this. First is that he is the ultimate advocate. Jesus is the ultimate advocate. All of the high priests that you will read about in your Old Testament were mere shadows of the advocacy of Jesus the son of God. Now, hear me. Here's where I want to draw a little bit of a line of distinction, okay? And use that hour of sleep. (laughs) There is a difference between advocacy, Jesus being advocating for us, and Jesus interceding for us, okay? Now, there is overlap between them definitely, but there is a distinct difference, okay? So in, in, in Romans chapter eight, it will talk about Jesus um, constantly or continually interceding on our behalf. What's the difference then between Jesus being our advocate? Well, let's look at this. An advocate is someone who comes before us and with us in our time of need, in sin. So is Jesus constantly interceding on our behalf before the Father? Absolutely. Is Jesus constantly advocating for us? No. Jesus is our constant advocate, but any time in scripture we see the word advocate or we see this role of a great high priest, it is in a moment of need, particularly in the moment of sin and suffering. Let's look at it in 1 John 2. This is where the word advocate is also used. Not the word intercession, they're two different words. 1 John 2 uh, verse 1. It says, my, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. May not sin. But John knows our hearts, right? But if anyone does sin, which we all will raise our hand, we have an, a what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So think of it like this, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding on our behalf, constantly talking to the Father. We also, in our moments of need, in our moments of suffering and sin, we have an advocate. This is Jesus as the great high priest, the one who will step up and advocate on our behalf. Um, How many of you are familiar with CASA? They're actually right right down here, uh, court-appointed special advocates. It's a, it's a great uh, nonprofit down here. So these are folks appointed by the courts, okay? Appointed by the judge to advocate solely and entirely on behalf of children. So their one job is to advocate to the court or to the judge on this child's behalf. It's, it's, it's incredible. Now here's how I want you to think about Jesus as your advocate as a believer, is that God the Father has commissioned him, has given him, has appointed him, right, to advocate to him on behalf of you, his child. 
So literally what he's doing is that he is, he is talking to the father. Listen, not trying to convince him of how good you are, but he's advocating not based upon your record, but upon his. This is why he's ultimate, right? This is why he's going, listen, I'm advocating on their behalf, not based upon what they've done. I know what they've done, right? But Jesus, the righteous, is going, Father, I want you to look at my record. That's his advocacy toward you and toward me. In your time of need, he's advocating himself. He's advocating his blood. In your time of sin and failure, he's advocating his blood, his righteousness to you. The ultimate advocate. See, he's the ultimate advocate also because he gives access like no one else ever. Remember what I talked about in the Holy of Holies, that there was this veil that separated now, for those of you that know your New Testament, what happened when Jesus died, right? John 19, 30, he says, it is finished. What happened to that veil in the temple? It was torn in two. What Jesus just announced in his death is now that access that was prohibited or only allowed to the high priest is now able and available to all people. Why? Because Jesus goes, I am the great high priest. I went behind the veil. I made the ultimate sacrifice for them and the veil was torn in two. And so listen, the high priest would go behind the veil once a year, once a year. And now Jesus in tearing the veil, opening it wide open, goes, listen, you have access any time. Why? Because you have an advocate. You have a great high priest who stands beside the father for you. I mean, this, this is, it, it kind of feels like a little insider trading, right? It's like, hold on. Our advocate before the judge is the son of the judge appointed by the judge to you, to you, and to me. And he's the one there pleading on our behalf. Himself. His record. You deserve that? He's the ultimate advocate. See, with the high priest, they were constantly changing, Right? They didn't live forever, right? It was like, okay, um, God, who's the next high priest up? Who have you chosen next? Listen, in Jesus, the phrase next man up will never be uttered. He's the final. He's the ultimate advocate. He is the great high priest. You see, he gives us access because he has access because he has access like no one before, that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. So he carries the word great high priest, one, because he's the ultimate advocate, and two, the thing I've already alluded to is that he himself is the ultimate sacrifice. The two primary roles of the great high priest, advocacy and sacrificing and giving things unto God to represent the, the sins of the people. You see, the priests of Israel, as I've mentioned, were sinful in themselves, so they needed to offer sacrifices not only for the people, but also for their sins. Jesus himself is the sacrifice for the sins of the people as the great high priest. Listen, it's, it's, it's one thing to give away something of someone else's, right? These animal sacrifices that we see the great high priest presenting, it's a whole other thing, right? to give away something of yours. And then it's a whole other thing to actually give away yourself. And that's what Jesus did. 
He didn't give away something that wasn't his. He didn't just give away something that was his. He gave away himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Now hear me, this is 100% substitution. That Jesus, the righteous, took your place, took my place. He died the death I owed because of my sin. Listen, the priest would offer an animal for the people, which included himself and the sins of himself. Jesus is the one, hear me, who climbed on the altar. He's the one who died on the tree and said, I am offering the ultimate sacrifice that is the only sacrifice that will rip the veil, that will tear down Ephesians 2, the wall of hostility that divides us between us and God permanently. The great high priest the ultimate high priest, because he is, one, the ultimate advocate for you and for me, and he's the ultimate sacrifice. He himself is the spotless lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins. That's Hebrews 5. Now let's back into Hebrews 4. There's another word here. If we're not careful, we'll miss it that also describes Jesus as the great high priest. In verse 15, let's look at this. And this is, this is really the anchor, okay? When you, when you look at this test, this is really the anchor that things are, are, are built off of. It says this in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. So they just described Jesus as our great high priest in another way. That there's a word that we can add even before great. That he is, verse 15, just described to us our sympathetic great high priest. Now, what in the world does that mean? And here's where I want us to land and sit for a little while in chapter four. Sympathize here is not some casual or cold or detached pity. The word sympathize here, it has a a, a depth and a back to the requirements of the high priest, a solidarity with it. A solidarity with the people. Did you get Hebrews 4? That it says, listen, he is not unable, meaning that he is able to understand and have compassion with you, the people he advocates for, the people that he made his living sacrifice for. He understands. This is a deep compassion, right? Not not, not something flimsy, not just sympathy like, "Oh, oh, oh, Jesus is not going, oh, bless your heart. Like, by the way, which is such a degrading statement, right? Like, it's just Southern of going, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> Jesus is not in heaven going, oh, bless your heart. He's not going, God, they're, they're trying so hard. Like, that's not Jesus' sympathy. Here's what I want you to get with the sympathetic great high priest. That the knowledge of God the Father, he knows everything and everyone, is matched with the sympathy of God the Son. Meaning that when Jesus advocates, when Jesus is before God the Father, here's what he's saying to him. I've been there. 
I've been there. I've felt that. I've experienced what they're experiencing. He's not detached. This is the power of the incarnation of Christ. This is the beauty of Christmas, right? That God himself put on flesh, come among us, dwell, faced everything we did so that as he ascended through the heavens, what Hebrews says is that he stands, sits before God and he can go, listen, I understand why they would struggle with that. I understand loneliness. I felt rejection. I have felt physical pain and suffering and sadness and temptation. I've felt that. I've been there. I've walked through those things. I've been tempted by Satan. I've been rejected by men. I've sat alone in a garden and wept. That's the kind of sympathy. The depth to go. Their pain, their struggle... I know it. Um, maybe you'll get it with this example. Uh, pregnancy, and, and this will speak to half of you in this room, those of you who have had a baby. Um, my, my wife's primary doctor that would deliver our baby, she's had three, um, uh, is, is a female, okay? But our third one, our last two came very, very quickly, but, but our third one um, uh, wasn't able to be delivered by her, her doctor because it was just going so quick. It's like, is there a doctor in the hospital? Okay, like, let's, let's, let's get them in here. And it happened to be a guy. And uh, so, you know, whatever. I just want this baby to be here, healthy and, and great. Um, so uh, he's delivering the baby. And, and I remember him saying something. You know, there's so many things. And, and he's like, you're doing such a good job, right? Encouraging, right? We're all supposed to bring encouragement. Um, you're doing such a good job. Um, I, 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 I understand. I, I know it's painful. And I remember, like, I'm up there, you know, I'm, I'm up by her head, just like, sweetie, you're doing great. I'm doing all those things. And I, I remember thinking back, I'm like, you don't know that. Like, you, d- d- sir, you don't know that, right? Her other doctor, because she's delivered, she's had babies herself, can say that, like, I know the pain. I know the suffering. I know what you're going through, right? I don't care if that other doctor, he's probably, he has delivered millions of babies. He's probably written books on how to deliver. He knows, he knows that upside down, but he's never felt the pain. All the women said, amen, right? Jesus, listen, our advocate, our sympathetic high priest is not just someone, I got all this knowledge. I know, I wrote the book. I, I am the word. No, he's going, listen, I lived it. The pain, the experience, the loneliness, all of those things, the temptation, I have felt it firsthand. I felt it firsthand, Father. I know what they're experiencing. And here's what Jesus says. To you and to me, I can not only help you because I'm sitting on the throne. I can not only help you because I'm God, very God, the Son of God. But I can understand because I've been where you are. So here's what we have in Jesus. Get this, in his sympathy, in his sympathetic, great high priest nature. We have the power and compassion. Woo! You see, you'll understand this culturally speaking. Power without compassion, that's tyranny. I've got the ability, but I got no desire to help you out. I've got no compassion. Some of you know people like that. Some of you experience people like that. And then on the other side of that, maybe you, you have been here where you have the compassion or the sympathy, and it may be deep, but no power or ability to execute on that compassion. That just 
produces sentimentality, right? Like, I just, I just feel bad, but I have no power to do anything about it. Jesus doesn't have those problems. Jesus has all the power on heaven and on earth, and it's matched with a compassionate heart and a love and a sympathy and a care that's unmatched. See, Hebrews says that he was like us in every way. But Hebrews doesn't stop there because there's something, there's something different about Jesus. And this is what gives him the power on the power side. There's a massive asterisk by his name. He's by us in every way except <laughs> what makes him the acceptable sacrifice before a holy and righteous God. How did Jesus live that is very different than you and me? Yet he is without sin. So he faced the suffering. He faced the temptation. He faced all of those things that I listed. Yet he did them and handled them totally different than you and me. He handled them perfectly. Why? Because he's the son of God who lived a perfect life, who thus makes himself the ultimate sacrifice before God. Because yet he is like us in every way except the one that qualifies him. Qualifies him to be that ultimate sacrifice. He is without sin. So therefore, that's Jesus' identity. I love, I love the way the Bible lays things out. It's always the indicative before the imperative, meaning it's always the truth. They give the truth and then go, in light of that truth, in light of that goodness, if you really believe what we just talked about there, about Jesus being our great, sympathetic high priest, yours and mine, the ultimate advocate for you before the Father, the ultimate sacrifice for your sin and my sin, here is the result. Do you see it in verse 14, in verse 16? It says in verse 14, the first, the first response is this, let us hold fast to our confession. Hold fast. Remember the audience. It is, this, it is this church being riddled with persecution and suffering. They're going, is this truly the way? Shouldn't we just go back to Judaism? It seems like we weren't suffering quite as much back then. And here is the writer of Hebrews going, no, hold fast to your confession. What is our confession? Our confession is this, that Jesus Christ is the great high priest. He's the one who knows where we are. He's the one who can meet our deepest needs right now and for all of eternity. Hold fast to that. Don't waver in that. And then catch the second one in verse 16. The response is then. So now, let us draw near. Let us with confidence, in light of Jesus' identity, in light of who he is, in light of the confession that we hold fast to, that let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we might find what? Grace and mercy. When? Advocate. In our time of need. In our time of need. And some of you, time of need, you're like, I, I need the Lord. I need the Lord uniquely and profoundly right now. Listen, you have an advocate in your suffering, in your loneliness, in your despair, in your health struggles, whatever it is you're suffering with. Listen, you have an advocate before the Father advocating on your behalf. And you're going, God, why are you letting this linger? Why are you letting this linger? And listen, I don't have an answer for that. But I know this. 
that the, one of the primary things that God does in that lingering, why he would allow suffering to go on, is so that you would draw nearer and nearer and nearer to him so that you might enjoy and experience him like never before. So listen, in your suffering, draw near to him and he's gonna meet you there. He meets you there with grace and mercy. Some of you, you are right now living in sin. And I'm not talking in general sins. I'm talking about in specific sin that you know is disobedient to the will of the Father. And listen, here's the paradox of the gospel. The paradox of the gospel is this, that as we draw near to God as sinners, as the unholy draws near to the holy because of Jesus, this morning, if you will draw near to God, you will be met, you, you won't be met with what you deserve. You'll be met with what you don't deserve. You'll be met with grace and mercy. You'll be met with love and gentleness and compassion. Remember the high priest, one of the things that he was to be qualified to do, to deal with the people, how? Gently, kindly, You see, what evokes Jesus' gentleness and grace is not how severe the sin is or how non-severe the sin is. What evokes this gentleness and this grace and this mercy is that you come to him, that you draw near to him. And listen, I'm not just talking, for some of you I'm talking about in salvation, that you would draw near to Jesus in faith. For those of you who are believers, I'm talking about you drawing near to Jesus in that same faith and way in your sin in your suffering, bringing it before him. That when we sin, we have an advocate, the word of God tells us. That he advocates when we draw near. Some of you, though, you're, you're, you're like, you have like this long distance relationship. I'm convinced that your long distance relationship with God, you will never understand and experience firsthand, which he wants you to, the advocacy and the priesthood of Jesus. And this morning, he's drawing you near, beckoning you to come near to the throne of grace. No matter where you find yourself. This is Romans 2, 4, right? That the kindness of God is meant to lead us to what? Repentance. It's his kindness. His gentleness. Going, come. When everything in you tells you to run the other way, shame and guilt and condemnation telling you to run away from God. Jesus, our sympathetic great high priest, is going, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that voice. Listen to the advocate. Draw near. Draw near to me. I'll end us with this uh, quote. He says, rather than dispensing grace to us from on high, Jesus gets down with us. He puts his arms around us and he deals with us in the way that is just what we need. Gently. Are you suffering this morning? Are you in sin this morning? Do you need rescue and help? Draw near to Jesus. We have an advocate right now before the Father, advocating on your behalf and mine.
Father, we lift our voices to, God, worship you. God, to say thank you for your son. Thank you for sending the great high priest. God, thank you for Jesus, whom we just celebrated by remembering his broken body and shed blood that provided for us a way and access to you. Oh, God, I pray. God, this would not be mere intellectual knowledge as I prayed to begin this sermon, but I pray this would be something that transforms us, that this would be something that even this week we would run and draw near with confidence to the throne of grace in our time of need. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your salvation that comes in and through Jesus. So I pray that this might permeate the Parks Church individually and corporately for your glory this week in the spaces you have called us and have placed us where we'll go. God, I pray that you would sear in our minds and our hearts the advocacy of Jesus. God, that he is advocating before you. God, not our record, but his, the way that we are saved. Lord, I love you and thank you. It's for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.